For years, Minky Couture has been donating blankets to NICUs across the country. Owner Sandy Henry's grandson was born at 30 weeks, and she placed a mini blanket in her grandson's incubator. We want to help other NICU families with the Heart of Minky program. For every adult-sized blanket purchased, Minky Couture will donate a mini-sized blanket to NICUs across the nation. Thanks to you, we can fulfill our dream to blanket the world. Welcome to Adult Bedtime Stories. Are you ready to experience nocturnal emissions? Join us in a sex-positive awakening adventure to help create a sex-positive world. Become part of a movement and start living a sex-positive lifestyle free of sexual shame and guilt. Adult Bedtime Stories is a Ravenslayer production. Adult Bedtime Stories is a show dedicated to bringing sacredness back to our sexuality and to learn about everything sexual. Allow the beautiful sexy creature within you to emerge. Each week the focus of the show will be on a different sexual topic designed to enlighten you so you develop more fully as a sexual being. This is a sex education that you didn't receive in high school but should have. Imagine for a moment that we could change the world and live a sex-positive lifestyle. In our sex-negative world, the process of socialization teaches us to feel shame and guilt around sex. By adopting a new set of attitudes and values around sex, we can view sex with a new understanding, which is accompanied with positive emotions and the attitude that sex is a sacred act. I am Lady Boy Chi a sex expert, a life coach, and a sacred harlot. My life vision is to create a sex-positive world through adult education and BDSM performance art. Hello and welcome. I am Ladyboy Gigi, and I have Paul with me tonight. Hey, guys. I'm going to have him introduce our topic. Our topic for tonight is exploring sexual horizons. The reason I wanted to do this topic tonight is because I know in my life there are all sorts of sexual milestones that I've made that I never really expected to make. I have had to go into some uncomfortable territory to get to the place that I am now, but I am so happy that I have gotten here. I've learned so much about myself, and I've gotten to experience amazing things. And sometimes, in, especially in the sex-negative culture that we live in, we are fed so many horror stories about things that we might 
be interested in or we might be attracted to. But with the pressure from society, we never really go there. We never really explore those places. And I think that's a huge disservice that many people do to themselves uh, because fear does a lot to hold us back. So that's why I wanted to talk to, about this tonight. Oh, okay. One of the things I'd like to kind of throw in on all this is that in our sex-negative culture, between religion and modern medicine and mental health, so many forms of sexual expression have been kind of vilified and been looked at as dysfunctions or as problems. And I think we're fortunate that we had the Kinsey Report and we had some Masters and Johnson and sexual pioneers who really kind of got a better handle on all this and did studies, scientific studies, and determined that most forms of sexual expression are healthy and good. Even some of those that we think of as wrong or bad because of religious beliefs or because of stigmatization by the medical and mental health communities. And both the medical and the mental health are starting to come around. The DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Psychiatrists and psychologist has gone through a lot of changes <laughs> and a lot of the so-called sexual dysfunctions have been removed from it or changed to really keep up with the times. So I kind of wanted to throw that in because a lot of times we think, oh, if I'm into BDSM or if I'm into certain forms of kinky sex, it's something dark and bad <laughs> and that's just not the case not just in the present but throughout history many forms of sexuality and sexual expression have been expressed throughout the ages and it's a normal part of being a sexual human being <laughs> so I just kind of wanted to give some background information about this that even though you might want to do something that seems kinky and different it's been done by millions of people <laughs> and it's very much a normal part of human sexuality I think part of the stigmatization of a lot of these things you brought up the DSM earlier and right now we're on the fifth iteration of the DSM. Yeah. We have the DSM-5. And in previ previous editions of the DSM, everything from interest in BDSM and kink to homosexuality, transgender identity, all of that at one point... And also voyeurism and exhibitionism. Yeah. All of that was in the DSM and 
viewed as a mental illness. <laughs> and it was viewed as a mental illness. And I think that a lot of the time, people get these messages from people with outdated information. If you're kinky and someone that's your grandmother's age finds that out, or your grandmother, mm-hmm. and they're still working with the mindset of people who were learning most of the, the stuff like in the days of the DSM-3, all of their information about your identity and who you are is going to be like completely founded on old information that's not science anymore. It's not valid. And I think another thing that really throws a monkey wrench into the works is that as I was born intersex, and that really throws a mm-hmm. kink in the works. <laughs> Because for me, there is no same sex or opposite sex. And so the whole idea of am I gay, straight, bi, what? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm kind of pansexual, I think it's the best Mm -hmm. description. But there isn't a same sex and there's not an opposite sex. Or if there is a same sex, it's very hard to identify what that would be. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Especially since I don't have medical records showing exactly what type of intersex condition I have. Mm -hmm. If they even existed back when I was born, oftentimes they did surgeries and didn't even put it in the record. Mm -hmm. And so I don't even know if medical records exist Mm -hmm. to specify and to go and get tested to the chromosome test and all the other testing they would have to do would cost a small fortune. Yeah. And I'm not going to pay all that Mm -hmm. just to determine, oh, who's the same sex as me? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And could I even find somebody like that? Because intersex is an umbrella term that covers a wide spectrum. Mm -hmm. So just my being born intersex is evidence enough that the whole notion of sexual orientation is somewhat flawed because it's based on a binary sex system. And so it really kind of throws a wrench in the works. And I think even if you're not intersex, our sex is based on a spectrum. And on the far end is male and female. And we all have some combination of both, Mm -hmm. whether we're intersex or not. Mm -hmm. And so I thought I'd throw out that little bit of scientific information just to kind of clarify that you know we're not living in the dark ages anymore of sexuality science has really discovered a whole lot in the last 50 years about sex and and sexuality and when i say sex i mean gender but gender also is kind of defined a little different it's defined as the sex we think we are versus what's between our legs. Mm -hmm. That brings me to one of the major things that I've had to work through in my sexual journey. For, as you know, for a very long time, I had a hard time embracing my attraction to, to men and 
my bisexuality. And it was because I went through a lot of trauma at the hands of men in, in my past. So it was it was scary for me, like really coming to terms with the fact that I was bisexual and that I did like men. And, and now that I have come to this point where I do readily and happily accept it, it's been really great. Uh, I have had a lot of experiences I wouldn't have had if I hadn't accepted that about myself. But I also understand that it was scary when I was going through it. And I'm sure that there are some listeners out there who can kind of identify with that fear. And it might not be a same-sex attraction. It might be interest in kink. It might be that you have a specific fetish that you hide like it's a deep, dark secret because you feel weird and awkward about it. That fear and self-hatred over that can really affect you in negative ways. I know that I've experienced my fair share of that, too. And I think part of it is that there is still some stigma around certain fetishes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love foot worship, and I definitely have foot fetishes, uh, especially when others kiss and Mm -hmm. fondle my feet. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't (laughs) know anything about that. And also I'm into uh, dressing up as I was born to be, and that's really a shocker for a lot of people because I've got all the wrong pokey parts mm-hmm. to be a female or a male, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so when I cross-dress and walk around in a beautiful dress with mm-hmm. uh, my bulge down there mm-hmm. and not enough bulge up on the chest mm-hmm. and... And without shaving or just being who and what I am as intersex, being a little bit of both, mm-hmm. people don't know quite how to take that in. It's But it's getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, notice that the gender binary is slowly evaporating and more and more people are choosing to present as androgynous, as oh, yeah. w- what is that? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really amazing. As you know, I wear clothing that most people associate with women most of the time. And one of the things that's really interesting to me is some some of the times when I walk into a place and like I immediately feel someone's eyes on me and I feel like you know they're going to have negative feelings about the fact that I'm wearing a dress or a skirt or whatever I'm wearing. And sometimes I do get a certain amount of flack. Most of the time, no one says anything, but I can feel the the stares and the jeers. But a lot of the time, I also am happily surprised by people that seem conservative and seem like the kind of people who I anticipate to have problems with it, and then they don't at all, and they're just genuinely kind to me. And I 
I think that that's a very uplifting thing that I get to experience a fair amount of the time. And I was just interviewed, a, I think it was, I forget exactly when, but the book is coming out soon. It's the Outwards Project. And they interviewed hundreds of GLBT elders who had been the pioneers to help create a more open space in an open society and a more sex-positive society. And I think it is because of the GLBT movement that acceptance has become so much more than it was 50 years ago. And I think part of the reason for that is because some of these brave pioneers came out of the closet and they had mothers and fathers and family and friends and once they came out, it, while it was shocking at first, all of a sudden they said, well, uh, that doesn't ch change Uncle Bob any, <laughs> mm -hmm. or it doesn't ch change Aunt Jane any. They're still the same person they've always been. It's just we know new information about them now. Yeah. And so it has bred more acceptance, I think. Well, it's really easy to stigmatize a group that you don't know any members of. It's mm -hmm. a lot harder when you have a face of a person that you love that is attached to it. And, you know, that that's not enough to always stop the hate. But a lot of the times it does make people, like, step back and completely rethink their stance on any number of things. And another thing that has been proven over and over again is that conversion therapy just doesn't work. I remember on After Hours, we interviewed the XX people, and these were people that went through the conversion therapy that religions mm -hmm. put them through, sometimes against their will if they were young, mm -hmm. and it doesn't work. Science still can't exactly identify what causes someone to be gay or lesbian or bisexual or heterosexual. Mm -hmm. But whatever it is, it's not going to change through conversion therapy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's something we're pretty much born to be. Yeah, and I know that especially in the early days of conversion therapy, there was shock therapy. They're, they were basically torturing these these poor people. And a lot of them said that it worked out of fear. But then years down the road, they wound up forming the XX gay movement because it didn't work. It doesn't hold. That's why the people who are the poster children for the ex-gay movement, they're always at most like four or five years ex-gay. They're not 20 or 30 years ex-gay. Yeah. And even some of those that are even one year ex-gay, it's like nature takes back over. <laughs> Attraction is a powerful force. If we try to repress it or subvert it, Eventually, it's going to come back out, and it's going to 
come out in bad ways if we try to repress it in ourselves. Mm-hmm. But if we come to terms with it, and there's help out there if you're struggling with this. I know in most major cities, they have GLBT community centers. Mm -hmm. There's resources. In Houston, we have the Gay and Lesbian Switchboard where you can even call in and ask questions. That's not 24-hour a day, but but they try to keep it open as much as possible. And so there are resources if you're struggling with some of these issues. And there's also resources to help with family members. PFLAG is an excellent group to go to, to turn to for assistance. Yeah. (laughs) And so you're not alone. And definitely by a long shot. I mean, I remember when I was first struggling with some of my issues as a teenager, I knew I was bisexual from from a very early age, from the time I was about four or five and started exploring my sexuality, maybe even before that. (laughs) I just knew I was different. And I didn't know the words homosexual or bisexual. I just knew what my body liked. And it gets back to me is that Mother Nature designed our bodies Nature created us, and sex is and sexual attraction is a very primal and powerful force within us, and it's very set in all of us, no matter what your sexual orientation turns out to be. I think what happens in our culture is we try to deny it because it is still a little bit stigmatizing and Nobody chooses to be gay or chooses to be have kinks. It's how we're designed. It's how Mother Nature made us. <laughs> uh, another thing that drives some of this exploration is that I can't tell you how many people I have talked to, especially in the kink community, who got into kink because they had a partner that was curious about it and their partner had to kind of really talk them into it and it turns out that the partner wasn't actually really that into it but the person who finally had their partner talk them into it found out that they had a a deep need for some of this stuff so sometimes it's good to be open-minded to things and not just deny them out of hand because it doesn't immediately sound appealing to you. Mm-hmm. I think that part of it for me is that sex and sexual expression, whatever form it takes, can be such a beautiful and amazing experience. But to try to keep a deep, dark secret about it and keep it hidden can be very unhealthy at best. <laughs> and it can destroy us. It taxes our energy. It makes us live a life that we choose not to live. Well, I mean, we choose to live it, but mm-hmm. but it's not the ultimate best 
way to live our life. Yeah, and as you said earlier, that sometimes those those sexual desires come out in unhealthy ways if we try denying them and ignoring them. Earlier, when I said that part of the reason I had trouble accepting my bisexuality is because I had a lot of trauma from men in my mid to late teens and early 20s. But when I look back on those negative traumatic experiences, most of those happened from people who had repressed sexualities that either through religion or conservative upbringing or any number of things did not like the part of themselves that was attracted to people of the same sex. And I I think that the reason I had so many of those tra traumatic experiences is because these guys couldn't accept the fact that they were gay and never took the steps to explore their sexuality in a healthy way. And it just came out when they met someone that they saw as easy to take advantage of. Mm -hmm. I think healthy sexual expression and really learning about what it is that we're attracted to, what sexual, what forms of sexual expression really get us turned on is important. We have to listen to our bodies. If we fight it, it's kind of a downhill struggle. <laughs> And it can be so destructive and take so many destructive paths if we try to repress it. And it can come out in very unhealthy ways. Oh, yeah. I think that there, any sexual act that takes place between two consenting adults is not bad. As long as it's consensual and between adults, there's nothing that you can do wrong. There are healthy ways to go about it in ways that may be less healthy, but the act itself isn't wrong. And I think the key words are consenting adults. Yeah. In paganism, we have this, you know, I've come across this several times. The goddess gave us the gift of sexuality, and she blesses all acts of sexual expression between consenting adults. <laughs> and I'm kind of filling in the consenting adults mm -hmm. part, but, but that's kind of implied. And basically part of earth-based religions is really worshiping nature and, and the world around us, the natural world around us. And I consider our bodies as part of that system. Mm -hmm. And when we can really fully embrace our bodies as they are, including the desires and the, the hopes and the fantasies and those deep passions that can come up, when we fully embrace it, we're, in my mind, we're really being devout and true to the goddess. Mm -hmm. But that's my pagan belief. <laughs> yeah. 
I also think that one of the things that kind of stop people from pursuing things that they're into and interested in is the belief that they'll never find another partner who ha- who shares their same kink. And this happens especially with the ones that people consider dirty or gross, but lots of aspects of sex are dirty and gross, and that's kind of what makes them hot. I thought that I would never really like eating ass. Turns out I really like eating ass. Luckily, we live in a time where it's easier than it had ever been to find people of like-minded desires and find a way to express those desires. Mm -hmm. We're just about to station break time. And I would like to jump in again and let people know that I am working on my certification in sex coaching. And part of the process of sex coaching is taking a client, doing an assessment, and identifying their goals, where they want to go in their life sexually. What are their hopes? What are their desires? What are some of the sexual issues blocking them from achieving those goals? And to me, it's a very beautiful form of work because we're taking someone, instead of looking at what how they have problems or dysfunctions, we're saying, no, no, it's not a dysfunction. We're looking at what are your goals? Where do you want to wind up? Where, what do you want to experience? And then we help them work through what they need to be able to experience a more fuller sex life. And I think that's part of living a sex-positive lifestyle, is being able to have that freedom of sexual expression. And it can be so beautiful. But that was my little plug on my sex coaching. And we also have my website, ravenslayerleather.com. On our website, I've got training videos on a variety of sexual techniques and BDSM and body image healing, all kinds of different video trainings to help improve and live a more sex-positive lifestyle. And we also have our Patreon page. So if you get something out of this show, please do consider supporting us if you're able. Anything you want to add? Also on the website, you will find links to message us, and I would highly recommend that people shoot us a message and let us know what you enjoy about the podcast, what you think we could use help working on, um, maybe some topics that you would like to hear us discuss on the show. Because we're really doing this as a service to provide the community and the more information we have about what the desires of our audience are, the better we are equipped to fulfill those things in people. So that's a good way to communicate with us. We also have 
a membership site. I don't know if this one's giving us problems. It seems like this one might also be giving us a few problems. But yeah, we seem to be cursed on that membership mm -hmm. site. <laughs> but we'll work it out eventually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just uh, feel free to reach out to us and let us know. Give us some input. Mm -hmm. And so back to our topic. Okay, and so we're back from our station break. One of the things we haven't talked about yet that also fits in with the discussion that we're having is alternative relationship models. Things like open relationships or polyamorous relationships or polyfidelity. There are so many different ways to be in a relationship. And even three ways mm -hmm. and orgies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, three ways, orgies. More on the, the sexual side of things or swinging, or any kind of alternative relationship model. I've found real happiness in being a polyamorous relationship anarchist. It's been really amazing for me, but it's also a little bit scary, and it's kind of hard to know where to begin, especially if one partner isn't as excited about it as the other. And with that particular thing, there's a couple of things that I suggest. If you're the partner who is more excited about polyamory, I think that you owe it to your partner who's maybe more hesitant or scared to pump the brakes a bit and let them explore and let them have some positive experiences with it so that they can understand the really nice parts of it so that they can understand what it is you're excited for and so that when you get your turn they're happy for you um, and i'd like to jump in and say that all over the world more and more people are exploring some of the alternative relationship models mm -hmm. and practicing them. Mm -hmm. And more and more people are exploring different forms of sexual expression. Mm -hmm. As the world opens up and becomes more sex positive, I see the larger groups that are so against this right now eventually coming around and eventually embracing it, or at least tolerating it at a level where it's okay. And the numbers are really staggering. I mean, it's amazing how many, how much paganism has grown, mm -hmm. how much polyamorous community has mm -hmm. grown, and many of the swinger community is really alive and kicking, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> And all these in the kink community is definitely growing like crazy. Mm -hmm. So all these communities are really taking off in this day and age, unlike ever before, <laughs> at least in modern times. Oh, yeah, I, I definitely agree. I, I remember when I discovered polyamory, I, I guess it was, wow, about 20, 20 years ago, 
wow, that's so weird. <coughs> but when I discovered polyamory, it was something that none of my friends had ever heard of. And I, I discovered it on MySpace of all places. And I got so excited because I figured out there were people out there who felt the way I had always felt. Uh, I thought it was kind of ridiculous that that I had to choose if I was interested in more than one person. And then what I wound up doing was spending a lot of times on these web boards of polyamorous people. And most of it was advice in how to do poly polyamory well. And I think that there are a certain number of people that have a bad taste in their mouth about polyamory after going through a negative polyamorous relationship because it's really beautiful when it's done well, but it can also be done not well very easily and can be damaging if it's not. And that can be said of not just polyamory, oh, but yeah. BDSM oh, and yeah. uh, the kink community, the, a lot of different communities and that's what's so beautiful about living in this age is that we now have access to people who have learned through the school of hard knocks and figured out okay if if we each partner in the polyamorous relationship kind of figure out what their parameters are how they want to define the relationship and then everybody comes together and you kind of work out and compromise if need be, but work out solutions to what works best for everybody, you can kind of work with this stuff and really make it amazing. I know I've been living a polyamorous lifestyle for, oh goodness, since my 20s, <laughs> over 40 years now. I mean, it wasn't called that back then. It was mm -hmm. basically I've always been non-monogamous mm -hmm. or I tried monogamy a couple mm -hmm. of times. Mm -hmm. Didn't last long. Mm -hmm. Didn't work well for me. And I think part of it for me was that being bisexual and having to choose, oh, do I want to be with a man or a woman mm -hmm. only just mm -hmm. didn't work for me. Yeah, I liked both the masculine and the feminine energy in my relationships, and especially in my sexual relationships. I think the other thing that really was so amazing about polyamory is that I can also have platonic friendships with both men and women, and it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I know oftentimes in monogamous relationships, having a, a friendship, a platonic friendship with someone of the opposite sex is rather taboo. And even in our culture, it's seen as very taboo. <laughs> I remember when one year for New Year's Eve, I decided to go over to a friend of mine's house and we, she and I did a little partying and just stayed indoors. I didn't want to be out on the streets. 
at one point we crashed out and the next morning we got up and someone had broadsided my car parked on the street but on the curbside (laughs) (laughs) so we called the police and they came and investigated it turned out it was the next door neighbor and but the interesting thing was about the story was that I explained to her that my wife was at home but I was staying the night with my best friend she's a lesbian and we didn't tell the cop she was lesbian Mm -hmm. and she said you're spending the night here and your wife knows about this said sure we're good friends (laughs) it's a platonic thing Mm -hmm. she goes that's just so wrong We had no sexual interest in each other. Mm-hmm. We just have been good friends for many, many years. Mm-hmm. We've gone to lesbian bars together. We've gone to shoot pool. We've done, she does music and uh, plays guitar and many mu- musical instruments. So sometimes I'll go and listen to her do a show. And, you know, we've just been really good friends, but it's always been platonic whether or not sex is involved with the people I go out with, it's no big deal. But it's also no big deal when I have a friend that's of the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of a freeing experience that is a extra bonus to living a polyamorous lifestyle. I think another thing that's a bonus to living a polyamorous lifestyle is if you have feelings about someone and you're in a monogamous relationship, you may not act on those feelings, but there's going to be all sorts of curiosity like and worry that something something is happening behind your partner's back. But when you are honest about who you are and what you do, at, at least they know that they know what, what you're up to and what you're doing. And then it allows for like a great, like I remember a friend of mine who entered into a polyamorous relationship one time with this guy that she knew. Before they went polyamorous, she was so jealous about every girl that he talked to. And she had to work through some jealousy issues being in a polyamorous relationship with him. But then she realized that, like, he had very few actual crushes, and most of them were unrequited. Like, he only wound up hooking up with, like, a couple of other people other than her. And once she got comfortable, she got laid way more often than he did. But they were both happy. and. Yeah. I, and she was much less jealous once they became polyamorous than she was before they did. And I think part of the jealousy issue, I know it was for me and some of the people I've been involved with, it wasn't about who I was sleeping it with. It was about a fear of, oh, if I sleep with so-and-so, I might leave mm-hmm. my primary partner for the new kid on the block, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, I'm very committed to Mm -hmm. my wife and I'm very committed to my boyfriend and I don't want to leave anybody. I like all of it. And I think that kind of mindset gets set in because 
it's a, it's based on the monogamy model. Mm-hmm. In monogamy, you have to cheat behind your partner's back, and usually it winds up in a breakup, and you're going off with the other person, or any number of things can happen. But but that's where the fear comes in, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's by realizing that and having a polyamorous commitment really helps solidify things and I think there is a power in naming mm-hmm. when I name it on paper and make a commitment it's something I take very seriously and I also like to put a little fun into it but mm-hmm. but it, deep down it's a serious commitment mm-hmm. and I'm very bound to that commitment basically the way our polyamorous relationship started, or at least with me and my wife, it, we started with more parameters than we have now, today. And just over time, it, the relationship has evolved in such a way that it's opened up for both of us. And I think there is a power in naming, mm-hmm. not just for polyamory, but also for some of those delicious desires we have Mm -hmm. to name them like having a foot fetish or Mm -hmm. enjoying cunnilingus or anal licking or kissing Mm -hmm. or enjoying things that are a little outside the box so to speak enjoying that sadistic side or that masochistic side within ourselves because those are part of who and what we are. And whether we express them or suppress them, they're always going to be a part of our nature and part of who and what we are, whether we practice them or not. I realized that early on. I thought, hell, I'm going to go for the gusto and really live life fully. <laughs> Why suppress this stuff? Any thoughts? I went through a similar thing as I started to get older and started to realize that my tastes were a lot broader than I had initially expected. I started out with getting into BDSM and kink and kind of grew from there. But once I did really accept who I was as a sexual being, I opened my mind to all sorts of possibilities that at first seemed completely crazy. I've gotten so much out of opening myself up and really going deep within and really taking a personal account of how I feel about different things and what I want out of my out of my sex life and out of my relationships and it's talking about being poly earlier one of the things I've realized recently that is a big turn on being polyamorous for me is I really like hearing all the juicy details of the partners I have and you know as much as they want to share I'm I'm not going to force them to kiss and tell if that's not the kind of person that they are. But I really am turned on thinking about my partner being with another person. And I know how good they are. And, of course, I want to share that with the world. Mm -hmm. 
And I think another side of all this is this whole sense of healing and reaching catharsis through sexual experiences that are new and sometimes a little bit scary but challenging Mm -hmm. and the growth that we get from experiencing it. I know I've grown in so many areas in my life and I've reached states of ecstasy and learned so much from all the people that I've been sexual with Mm -hmm. and even people I haven't been. Oh, yeah. Going to bisexual conferences and to leather conferences Mm -hmm. and to some of the alternative communities, workshops out there. Mm -hmm. There's a wealth of information and just learning and experiencing and learning how to do it right has been such an amazing journey. (laughs) Yeah. And it's exciting hearing about other people's experiences and other people's what they've learned along the way sometimes I think of it kind of being like an audio voyeur like you don't have to necessarily see an act to feel the sexual energy from someone as they're talking about some of the things that they have done and it might never be a kink of yours but if you can really tap into that sexual energy and get a sense of how they feel about it and how they felt about the experience, I think that can be really hot and it also can help you grow and help you learn about your fellow man, your the other people that inhabit this rock with us. Life is short and there are so many things there are more things to be experienced than any one person could experience so listening to other people's experience is really amazing and you might be surprised when someone starts talking about something and at first it might quick you out a little bit but if you listen to them long enough you might find that you're actually really into the idea of what they're talking about about and that gives you the opportunity to explore it within yourself and i would like to put in a word about fantasies especially sexual fantasies i know that just learning about some of the things out there it sparked my sexual fantasies big time and i've always enjoyed masturbation and i've never felt like it was this something wrong or bad, having such a broad array of sexual explorations through fantasy was really hot and exciting and gave me such a passion for all this. (laughs) It really made masturbation so much more amazing than just whacking off. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it definitely got me all turned on in all the right ways. And so even if you don't want to explore certain things in real life, there's nothing wrong with exploring it in fantasy. Even the darker side of sexuality, you can safely explore in fantasy. There's no right or wrong to fantasy. And it can really get you turned on and get you, take you places you never dreamed you could go. 
I've actually had orgasms just from fantasy alone. I know that for a long time I had fantasies that I was ashamed of, that I felt really bad about. I feel like it poisoned me in a way until I started training under you, Gigi, and mm-hmm. learning that I don't have to feel bad about the things that I feel just because there are things that I would never do in real life. The fact that I fantasize about it doesn't change the person that I am. Mm-mm. When we were talking earlier about how if you repress these things in yourself too much, they can come out in negative ways. And I think that's where some of the, the problems in the world come from is people have been taught that these fantasies are bad. And they might not even be ones that people would even find that taboo, like particularly for really sexually restricted people who have really uh, religious upbringings or just really grew up in a very conservative place. That can not even just not being able to control yourself and doing something non consensual but they can also chip away at our at our inner selves at our ego they can make us nervous and timid and lead to a lot of self-loathing that can lead to other really negative consequences and I I think that that was an important lesson for me to learn is that some of the things that I fantasize about, I don't have a lot of control over, but I have control of the way that I do fantasize about it. And that finding a healthy outlet for these things does a lot to make me a better person. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I ever would have acted on any of my taboo fantasy is that's not the thing I'm worried about but I know that it held me back in a lot of important and key ways uh, and that that's what did the most damage to me and I think it's through fantasy that we can explore some of our more forbidden desires and come to terms with them and really experience them through fantasy in a healthy way I think it was Carol Queen who was talking about sex offenders and how they're not allowed into the strip clubs in California. And she said, actually, these sex offenders, they should be sentenced to attend strip clubs because that's a healthy outlet for many of these people. Mm-hmm. And maybe they wouldn't be as likely to commit wrong behaviors again if they had a more healthy sexual outlook. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the role that fantasy gives us is this ability to explore some of the forbidden and enjoy it. And it's all in our head. There's no right or wrong. It's what we do with it. And if we can keep it as part of our fantasies and let us reach a catharsis with it that's a lot more healthy than just stuffing those feelings away 
I think with the darker fantasies, you also have to do something to to temper them a little bit too. Because the more you focus on dark things, I find that I do fantasize about my darker fantasies sometimes, but it's not the only ones that I have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I make it a point to not make it the only ones that I have because there are a multitude of things that I'm really turned on by and really interested in. And for me, it's a release valve, but it, it's also something that you do have to be somewhat careful with. But oh, yeah. And I think where I draw the line for that is that in my fantasies, I think it's helpful to kind of set my intent. My intent is to reach catharsis with that darker energy mm-hmm. and to experience it to the level that fills that need within me, mm-hmm. but not to dwell in it yeah. and to explore the full realm of sexuality. Mm-hmm. I don't want to just experience dark sex, nor do I want to just experience light sex. Mm -hmm. I want to experience the full spectrum Mm -hmm. (laughs) of my sexuality. And so through fantasy, I can reach a catharsis with this stuff and and enjoy the moments that I have with it. And then it's not gnawing at me anymore. Mm It's fulfilled within me. And another thing is we're talking about these darker fantasies that you have to understand. And anyone out there who does have some of these darker fantasies can probably attest to the fact that a lot of these fantasies come from trauma. Uh, I know that mine do. and They may or may not depending on the person, <laughs> but true. they can. Yeah, and I th- I think that this particularly comes up in rape fantasy a lot. A lot of survivors of, of uh, you know, sexual assault and rape find that they have a rape fantasy and they're horrified about it, and, they, you know, it makes them feel terrible about themselves. Rape fantasies are fairly common out there, mm-hmm. and... Whether or not you've had sexual trauma or been raped or have experienced sexual abuse, a lot of people that have rape fantasies never have experienced any of that. Part of the fantasy, I think, for a lot of people is that it's giving up that control and being out of control, and that can be a very potent thing. Now, I've had rape fantasies, where I was being raped, and it was a very amazing fantasy. Now, would I really want that in real life? No. So there are certain fantasies that I have that are amazing as fantasy material, but I would never really want it to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, real rape is really a horrific thing. Oh, I yeah. would not want that. But fantasy rape can be a very hot scene, especially as part of a fantasy. And I know in the BDSM community, there's people who play out rape scenes. Mm-hmm. They're all, all the people are pretty much in the know, and it's all consensual, and 
but they do play it out as a rape fantasy. And that can be a really hot scene for a lot of people. Yeah, and like uh, with like with any healthy BDSM, there's you know there's safe words, there's mm-hmm. you know there's it, it's particularly consensual non-consent is something that takes a lot of work, but you don't just jump into it. it oh no, you have to do a full negotiations mm-hmm. and really explore all the safety issues mm-hmm. and plan it out carefully yeah and do it safely you don't want someone a third party observer accidentally thinking oh this is real and calling the police <laughs> yeah uh that would not be good mm-hmm. but you can play these out and set up your boundaries mm-hmm. and set up a safe environment to conduct these things in mm-hmm. with full informed consent by all parties. Mm-hmm. When you start getting into the the darker aspects of sexuality, I think that's an, another thing that becomes even more important than in regular BDSM is aftercare. Mm-hmm. Aftercare is important with every form of BDSM, but especially some of the, the darker uh, aspects of it, it becomes so important. It's it you know it's more important than the scene itself. Yeah, and I'd like to kind of refocus on. Sorry. Uh, no, no, it's okay. This is great, uh, but I would like to refocus on the process of coming to terms with some of our more forbidden desires, and they may be. Forbidden just in our own mind, or it might be forbidden in the sense of our social s- circles. It may be forbidden, who knows where. But there is a process, and I mentioned one thing that's helped me is there is a power in naming. And when I can name a desire and then discuss it openly, it helps break the taboo starts that process and as I break the taboo and work with people who are into doing it with me it opens up whole new doors to really understanding ourselves at a deeper level and reaching a higher level of experience and consciousness it's really amazing where some of the surprises can come in and take you to such amazingly good places. <laughs> it brings in some of the spiritual components of sexuality. When we can open some of these doors, it can be a very beautiful and enriching experience. I think another thing I'd like to kind of say about all this is that I know a lot of people get into a long-term relationship and it becomes routine and after a while sex doesn't happen very often or it may end completely and you're kind of caught up in this sexless relationship and it's by exploring new uh, sexual visions and experiences that can really spice up the love life rekindle the spark 
and really open the door to healing and bringing sexuality back into a long-term relationship if it's been missing or if it's been less than what you'd want it to be. And so by exploring this with your partner and experiencing it and seeing where they're open to going with all this, it can be very enriching and really liven up one's sex life. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think another important aspect of all of this is after you identify something that is interesting to you is to look into what about it you find appealing uh, to understand it better and this helps first of all for you to understand but it also helps you explain to any potential partners that you have why you're interested in this particular thing and I think that can be very helpful and one of the things I really loved about the gay bars is that things were a lot more open and fluid. <laughs> I remember having some amazing sexual experiences where I'd be sucking a guy's cock, someone would be sucking on me, we'd be all playing together, and it was just amazing sexual experience. And we weren't even in a relationship. It was just mm -hmm. going out and getting laid. And that can be beautiful and wonderful at times, mm -hmm. too. <laughs> the gay bar experience really helped open my door to giving me myself permission to get into some of this stuff because it's just such an amazing adventure and so much fun and such a wonderful form of sexual expression that I got a lot out of. I think a lot of times, one of the things that happens is people don't experience different things that they'd really like to experience because they're afraid of rejection. They're afraid that people won't get it. But any desire left unstated doesn't get met. And I think that sometimes it's good to take a risk. And if the person that you're interacting with isn't particularly interested in that particular thing, it doesn't mean that that's going to be the end of things. That's just not a place you're going to go with them. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes it's really good to take a risk and say things out loud that you might want to experience and you might be surprised with the people who are interested in them. And also find out what your partner is interested in trying out that they maybe haven't shared with you out of fear. Fear can be such a unhealthy and blocking mechanism and it can keep us in the dark. But by facing some of our fears and really coming to our partner with sensitivity and open-mindedness and realizing, okay, my partner may or may not be into this particular thing. I may or may not be 
into some of the things they're interested in, but there's going to be common ground. You wouldn't be partners otherwise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's also important to realize that if there's a Venn diagram between the things that you're into and the things that your partner is into, it doesn't just have to be in the interlapping area in that Venn diagram because then each partner gets, you know, 10 or 15% of their sexual desires met. But if you're willing to go out of your comfort level and try new things to turn on your partner, it, you know, you may never have to do it again if it turns out to be something that really squicks you out. And that's why there are safe words, and that's why there's communication beforehand so that your partner knows some of the fear you have wrapped around that particular thing. Mm-hmm. But also sometimes it leads you to make amazing discoveries and if you're lucky both people are super into it Mm -hmm. i think that's the beauty of sexual diversity there are so many different experiences that we can embrace and enjoy where your partner isn't into something there's always fantasy i i can tell you that there's been times when i've had some amazing fantasies on things long before I ever did them in real life mm-hmm. and it created such hot exciting fantasies for me and really took me to new places it was an amazing experience and then when I got to experience some of these things it was like wow <laughs> it was even more amazing in real life so it can be an interesting journey to explore and discover and really come to full realization of what is sexual for you. I've come across things that at one time I wouldn't think of them as being sexual for me. I wouldn't think that I'd be into it. And after I tried it out, it's like, whoa, I'm very much into this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think especially when it comes to anal sex, being penetrated is oh, so delicious and mm-hmm. wonderful. And also penetrating others. It's I just love anal sex. Mm-hmm. And I love oral sex. I don't think there's many forms of sex that I don't just mm-hmm. totally embrace nowadays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is such an amazing and journey that we can discover within ourselves and I know some of my partners are into some of the things I'm into and they're not into other things I'm into and that's totally okay because mm-hmm. they're into things that I'm not into mm-hmm. and they can go and explore those and gain fulfillment in it without me there and I'm all for that with my partners because I want them to be totally fulfilled and be able to explore their sexuality fully. Mm-hmm. Well, any final words? So I would say to conclude, I would. So as you're exploring and learning more about yourself and more about 
your body and what turns you on in your brain, keep in mind that just because on paper it seems like something that you feel like you're going to be really into, you might have experiences where you finally get the chance to explore one of these kinks and it isn't your cup of tea. And that is okay. Uh, sometimes you have to go through some failures to discover what works. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would I would say if you, you know, wind up having an experience that you aren't really excited about, don't let that scare you away from trying new things in the future. And I have to say that I've tried a few things that didn't do it for me. Mm-hmm. But I tried it. <laughs> And it was good that I tried it. I enjoyed the process of doing it. Then there's other things that I tried out that I didn't know if I'd like it or not. Mm -hmm. And, oh, it took off. Mm -hmm. So you may be surprised in good ways. Oh, yeah. And I know for me that there's a lot of things that I've tried that didn't bother me but also weren't exactly my cup of tea for the sake of my partners and by doing that for them sometimes they fulfill desires for me that may not be their exact cup of tea but it doesn't bother them and it leads to everyone having a more fulfilled sex life Mm -hmm. and I think one thing for me that's come up over and over again is that if my partner's into something and part of our relationship is to help satisfy and bring our partner to full pleasure and full sexual ecstasy, yeah, I'll jump in and help him get there. Mm-hmm. Even if it's something I'm not super into mm-hmm. because that's part of my love for my partner. And part of what I want to give to my partner is that extra special sexual experience. And that can be a beautiful gift to give. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think that a lot of times it means a lot to your partner if they know that you're not particularly into something that they're into. And you you do do something for them that they know is purely for them. I think that that's really special, and I think that your partners will recognize that that's really special, and it will make them want to do special things for you. And on that note, explore and check out some new exciting adventures in sexuality. Explore those sexual kinks and see what works for you and what doesn't. There are a few kinks I thought I'd get really into and turned out it didn't do that much for me. Others that, you know, just, you never know. (laughs) We're all designed with, I mean, sex isn't just in the body, it's in our head, it's in our energy, it's in our spirit. And it's a combination of all these elements that make sex such an amazing phenomenon and so beautiful. (laughs) 
So on that note, I think we're coming to the end of the show. Enjoy those nocturnal emissions. Explore, discover, and really enrich your sexual self. Experience ecstasy to its fullest. With that, have a good night. Good night. I find it interesting that adults in our culture are not provided with informative sexual education. Even married couples don't have access to an adequate sexual education and how to pleasure each other. It's assumed that somehow we will instinctively know all that we need to know about sex. I don't know how you feel about this, but I think there's a better method. I would like to invite you to join me in developing a sex-positive lifestyle with freedom of sexual expression between consenting adults. Join us each week to learn everything sexual. Add your comments about the show and any suggestions you have for future show topics. We would love to hear from you. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you won't miss any episodes. This concludes this edition of Adult Bedtime Stories. Are you ready to experience nocturnal emissions? Sex is the final frontier. So explore everything sexual. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.